Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. So I'm wondering this morning how you take your coffee. And some of you are like, coffee? No, I'm a tea drinker or uh, maybe a Mountain Dew drinker or maybe even straight, like a water drinker. I mean, I think there's some people out there that, that do that. But, you know, I, I didn't actually used to drink coffee. But now, I, just full disclosure, I'm a daily coffee drinker. Um, try to limit it to earlier in the day. But, but in college, before I started drinking coffee, I kind of looked down on the people that were drinking it all the time. And, you know, it's like, I'm getting enough sleep. I'm being really responsible. Now, of course, that meant that 8 o'clock classes were optional so I could get enough sleep. Um, but I was getting plenty of sleep. And, and when we had our first uh, child, that's when coffee became part of my regular routine. <laughs> and, and I decided up front, I, I, maybe it was a punishment, you know, because of my shame and guilt for all of my judgment of people in the past, but I was just going to take it black. No sugar, no cream, no nothing. And I know that for lots of people, that's like, they can't even figure that out because Actually, Americans don't like the taste of coffee. We like cream and sugar with the benefits of coffee, right? <laughs> but have you ever had that moment where you grabbed what you were sure was the sugar from the sugar, sh- you know, the shaker, and found that it was not, and that it was salt? It was nice and full. It was right there on the table, and you were going to pile it in there because you don't really like coffee, but you better get some caffeine. And so you piled it right in, and then your lips puckered as soon as it hit your face. Like, <laughs> so that image I want you to just hold on to because this morning we're asking ourselves or we're looking at this question of what are we full of, and is it what we expected it to be? And there's lots of things that we might find in that place. And so we're going to just jump into this idea with John chapter 10. And if you want, you can follow along on the screen. And we'll read, these are the words of Jesus for us this morning. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will not follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather. We thank you for your word, which comes to us through history, but by your spirit, we invite you to make it fresh to us today. The word that speaks into the circumstances of our lives, that speaks to our hearts, our minds, our souls today that you would take this word and you would use it to shape us and transform us. Lord, may you fill us with your life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So there's a lot of ways that this passage can be considered and can be applied, but all of them begin and are based on the premise, obviously, that we are sheep. And I don't know if you have this when you hear about sheep and you think about it. I have this song from my childhood. We like sheep. We like sheep. We like sheep because sheep is what we are. I am clearly the only one. (laughs) It's all right. I've been on that limb before. But that's at the heart of this passage is that we are sheep. Right? And, and this was an image that would have been very familiar to the people in Jesus' day. But I don't know about you, but I haven't done much shepherding lately. And I haven't been living with any sheep recently. And so some of the images are a little lost, I think, on us. But man, they were loaded and packed. And this passage would have been a bit of an explosion in the minds and the lives of Jesus' hearers. See, They were a shepherding people. Actually, throughout history, God's people, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, have been a shepherding people. They've always had flocks and they've had herds. And so what Jesus is pointing them to is some really poignant metaphors. But they also were familiar with this imagery because throughout the Old Testament, they actually are called sheep. The people of God, over and over again, are called God's sheep and Yes, God is their shepherd, but also so are the leaders of Israel. They were were the ones that were called to tend, protect, and care for God's flock on his behalf. And so as we start trying to think about this, let's, let's lean in a little bit on what sheep are like. And, you know, this is not knowledge from the top of my head. I had to actually go look into this. But sheep then and now have an incredible value to their shepherds and to their people. I mean, there's a lot of utility that sheep offer. Of course, we understand that they offer wool, and so we make all sorts of things out of that. But for the people of God, sheep were also valuable because they were one of the primary and most significant offerings that were given to God in worship. 
And so they would have cared for and tended these sheep well because only the ones that were healthy and perfect and beautiful in every possible way were worthy of being offered to God. And so they needed to tend these sheep to the best of their ability or they would have nothing to offer God. They were also incredibly valuable because they offered meat. Now, I happen to love sheep. You may not have had sheep. You may have had lamb. I ate lots of sheep when I was away in Mongolia, and they had this incredible Mongolian barbecue where basically they would just cut the head off of the sheep. They would actually fill the body with coals, rocks this big that had been in a fire for hours, and then they took a blowtorch, and they cooked it from the outside at the same time. They're delicious. (laughs) But this was a rare treat for the Israelites in Jesus' day. It was a rare treat to, to have and indulge in meat. We as Americans don't really have a full appreciation for this. As most of us or many of us have meat in almost all of our meals, this would not have been the case. And so these would have been prized and valuable possessions and really only slaughtered for special occasions. And so they, sheep were incredibly valuable to the people. Now, sheep also are really helpless creatures and really vulnerable, right? Like, they, especially domesticated sheep. Domesticated sheep actually need a shepherd because it's like they've forgotten how to find water, even though they naturally need water. And so they need the shepherd to lead them to water and lead them into pasture to find food. They're dependent on a shepherd to fight off their predators, They're dependent on a shepherd to oil their faces and wounds when they get a snake bite or something else happens. And the reality is, sheep are prone to wander from the flock. We just sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Sheep wander. In all sorts of situations. Yeah, they're flock animals and they love being together with the whole flock. And and yet, one will just kind of drift off. It's kind of like when I was in college and my friends and my roommate and I would go to the dining hall and my roommate started, they just stopped waiting for me because they said I would get distracted by shiny things. And so then they'd just keep going and I'd have to catch up later. This is like sheep. They get distracted by shiny things. They get distracted looking for the next patch of food or the next bit of water. They just get distracted and they wander off from the flock and from the shepherd even though that's the safest place for them to be, even though they know this has been their routine and they have followed the shepherd into the fields over and over again. And when they wander off, they tend to get caught in thorn bushes or they'll fall into crevices. And, you know, this whole region was really a rocky and even desert region that the sheep would have been going out into. And there were places where the cliffs were thousand-foot drops and sheep would just, meh, right over the edge. Like, Like, I mean, this is the life of sheep. And... Predators would get them, thieves would steal them, and Jesus is calling you a sheep. How's that feel this morning? (laughs) Valuable and vulnerable. Worth so much, and yet often so helpless, and often so prone to wandering. That line has stuck out of that hymn for me for so long. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Yeah, I feel it. 
I know that there are ways regularly in my life, even now, that I, I tend to wander from the path that God has for me. I tend to keep wandering to look for meaning and significance and security, to look for the next bit of food and water to provide for what I think are my greatest needs. I'm prone to wander like a sheep. <laughs> and I think many of us are valuable and vulnerable, sometimes wandering by accident and sometimes by just outright rebellion because, frankly, I don't really like it when people tell me what to do. And Jesus is speaking to these people, and particular, he's speaking to some leaders of the people. And he's reminding them that everybody who's come before me, all of those who have been called shepherds before me, have actually turned out to be thieves and robbers. They were supposed to be the shepherds. They were supposed to protect. They were supposed to guide. They were supposed to lead. They were supposed to make sure that these vulnerable ones were well cared for. And yet, Jesus is saying all the leaders who have gone before them, him have failed to do that for the people. The kings of Israel who have been called the shepherds, rather than being right there, present with the sheep, guiding them in close proximity, choosing to be often removed and aloof and seeking self-interest and their own sense of security and luxury on the back of the people. The religious leaders of this day were supposed to be shepherds. They were supposed to be leading the people into the pastures where they would be well provided for. But instead, they over and over again were reinforcing the rules over the people, making sure the finest details of the rules and the law were being maintained, even if it created a burden so great that it was breaking the will and the backs and the hope of the people trying to fulfill them. They could never live up. They were never perfect enough. They were never good enough. And this was the constant reinforcement and the message of these who were supposed to be reminding them, you're valuable and leading them in the way that God would have for them, instead strapping on this impossible burden, which is so often the problem in religion. Because you could keep piling things on. When is enough enough? When is good enough good enough? When is perfect perfect enough? When have I done enough? Because if we're all honest, you could have done a little bit more. You could have served a little bit more. You could have given a little more. You could have done this. You could have done that. And when we live with this incredible burden, there's no end. And this was what the, was being piled on to these helpless sheep, these people in their vulnerability was an impossible burden. And Jesus contrasts himself. And he, he gives the images, two images. I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. In other words, I am the one who will protect you from the thieves and the robbers. I am the one who will release you from this impossible burden of religion that you cannot carry. I am the one who will make sure that the thieves and the robbers will not come and take you away. Because when you come to me and you come through me, when you trust in me, I want to give you life. I want to give you real life. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, Jesus said it this way, I have, all, the, all those who came before me are thieves and robbers and they come to steal and kill and destroy. 
And isn't that often the weight? When you, when you feel the weight of, of your failure, of your inability to, to live out that perfect vision of life that somebody else crafted for you, or maybe you're the only one crafting it for you with a heavy burden of expectation that you can't fulfill, or maybe you're being honest and, and taking seriously the plan and the will of God for your life, and you realize, no, there's no way that I can actually follow this out, and it feels like death. It feels like life is being sucked right out of you. And Jesus is saying, no, I've come in contrast to that, to give life and give it to the full. There's a couple primary words that are used, certainly throughout John's writing, but throughout the scripture for life. And there, one is bios or bios, and you, you can just hear in that, that's where we get the word biology, right? And when that word comes up, it's often referring to our physical, our natural life. In other words, it's clear that, that we all have bios. We all have life. If you're here in this room and the sound of my voice and so many others, there's life. Natural life, daily life. But there's another word that's used for life, and that's zoe. And zoe is, is life that is a gift from God. This profound gift. Now, and, and, and actually, Jesus would acknowledge that that all of life is a gift from God. Bios is a gift from God. None of us signed up and said, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to live and be born. Right? None of us said that. And so just being born and having life itself is a gift from God. But the gift of, of life that is Zoe is a gift of a different kind, a different character. It's actually kind of like the life that is inherent in God, in, inherent in God himself. Because right? God does not possess bios in the same way. He's not a created being with a natural body. But in God himself is life, is zoe, is the fullness of life as life was intended to be. In John chapter 5, Jesus said this, For as the Father has life in himself, zoe, in himself, it's, a, it's just part of who he is. All life flows out of, he is the source of all life. So he has granted the Son to have life in himself. But you can already see there's a, a significant difference between bios and zoe, between life and life. C.S. Lewis was a, a, a literature professor, a philosopher, an author in the middle of the last century, profound thinker, Christian skeptic, turned Christian. And he wrote a number of books, but in one of his books called Mere Christianity, he's reflecting on this difference between bios and zoe. And he says this, in reality, the difference between biological life and spiritual life is so important that I'm going to give them two distinct names. The biological sort, which come to us through nature and which, like everything else in nature, is always tending to run down and decay so that it can only be kept up by incessant, incessant subsidies from nature in the form of air, water, food, etc., is bios. The spiritual life which is in God from all eternity and which made the whole natural universe is Zoe. He's saying bios, our physical, natural, day-to-day -day life, needs constant input in order to support it and maintain it because otherwise it's always decaying. That's why we need to continue to eat and drink water and we need to sleep. That's why as sheep, we need to be led out into pasture to receive all of the things that we need just to keep our day-to-day -day functioning going. Without it, and actually even with it, all of bios is subject to decay. We're all dying. I'm sorry to break it to you. 
Sorry if that was a shock this morning. Should have slowed that down. Right, but, but that's the nature of bios. Bios is, is the life that we know we have, but it's the life that is decaying and ultimately is subject to death. It's only sustained today because God has chosen to sustain it. Zoe, on the other hand, is not subject to decay. Zoe is is the spiritual life, not in like there's some sort of disconnect between spirit and body. As a matter of fact, Zoe encompasses bios. Bios comes out of Zoe because it comes out of the life that is God himself. But Zoe, unlike bios, is not subject to decay. It's kind of like life as God fully intended it to be, where relationships are flourishing, where our bodies are no longer deteriorating. It's where everything that we need is provided. It's where the world is beautiful and glorious and full. And Jesus is saying, I came to give life, zoe, and life to the full. This is an image of like abundance, super abundance. It's, it's the image that if you can just picture it, I know you can, it's so easy. You have a pitcher and you're filling a cup and you just kind of, have you ever just gotten distracted? Actually, I do this a lot with the refrigerator. You know, as I'm getting water out of the refrigerator and I'm looking over here, I'm doing something else, thinking about seven other things and then suddenly my hand's all wet. Like this is the image of life to the full, life abundant. It's overflowing. There's more than enough. There is no end. Whatever comes out, it's constantly being put back in and then some. That's the substance, the significance, the quantity, and the quality of life that Jesus wants to give. So this morning, I think the question for us is, how full is your life? (laughs) And maybe the question right next to it is, What is it full of? Is it full of sugar? Or is it full of salt? See, because I think the question, the answer to the first question is, is your life full? (laughs) I think most all of us in the room would say yes. Oh, it's full. But what is it full of? As we start a whole new school year, a ministry year, a new year of activities, man, it's so easy to see our lives are full. Schedules are packed. You know, families hit fall and you feel torn in six different directions because of all the things, the places you want to be. People, folks who are retired might be the most spread and torn among us. I hear this all the time. I need to go back to work so I can get some rest. (laughs) I hear it all the time. Because life gets filled with supporting and taking care of grandkids and, and the list of things that have been put off for the last 10 years and adjusting to new lifestyles and getting to know your spouse once again or rekindling relationships with friends or family. All these things that make life full, 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 full. We feel like we're running on the treadmill, and the speed, particularly when we hit fall, feels like it's just been cranked up on us a little bit more. Our budgets are full, aren't they? (laughs) I mean, I don't know too many folks that are sitting around just going, you know, I just have this super abundance of money if I only knew what to do with it. 
Our lives are full of responsibilities. Our lives are full of concerns. They're full of hopes, some of which we continue to hold on to and kindle and others that feel like the embers of a a fire that's just about out. They're full. Is it full of bios or is it full of zoe? See, because Jesus wants to give life to the full that is zoe of a quality and a quantity and a significance and substance that for so often in the midst of all of the other demands on our life gets lost. Even secular research points this out. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Mappiness Project, but the Mappiness Project started in, in 2010. It, it's a project by Susanna Murado and George McCarran. And what it is, is it's an app for an iPhone. And what this app does is that it pops up at various times and asks you two questions. What are you doing? And how happy are you? And asks you to rate it right there in the moment. And at this point, they now have millions of data points because people voluntarily download this and offer, here's what I'm doing, here's how happy I am. And as they've looked at these results over these years, out of 39 activities that they've kind of put on their overall chart of happiness, it's interesting when you actually start looking at it and the way that we spend our time. Because... Last, we can probably all agree on a list of activities. Least happy is lying sick in bed. I don't know too many people that are like, you know what I want to do today? Let's be sick in bed and actually be sick. Maybe a hooky day. And the hooky day is because the second least happy thing on the list is work. In the moment, self-reported over and over again, we're not real happy while we're working. Now, if we look at the story of God that he's written in history, we probably understand that to a degree because work wasn't intended to be something of toil and burden and hardship. Back in the garden, work was given as a gift, but sin has broken that reality for us that now work is cursed. It's, it is a burden. It is toil. It is hard. And in the moment, there's not a whole lot of happiness, and it actually doesn't matter who you're doing it with. But man, so many of us spend a whole lot of time working. Now, I understand it's necessary and we got bills to pay and lives to live. So I get it. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying quit your job. Please don't hear that. But here's another interesting one. 32nd out of 39 on this list of happiness is scrolling on the internet, social media, YouTube videos. Out of the 39 activities that they've been tracking for over a decade, It's the 32nd most likely to make you happy or it's the 7th most likely to make you unhappy. And yet, the hours that are spent and believed when you jump into it because of the hit of dopamine you get when you first jump says, oh, this is going to make me happy. Yes, and then the scrolling begins and continues and continues and the happiness diminishes, diminishes, diminishes. And really, it's the least, it's of all the leisure activities on the list, it is the least likely to make you happy. This is just the secular research 
that's only looking at happiness as if happiness is what Jesus is talking about. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. It may be a piece of what Jesus is talking about, but he's talking about a fullness of life that's so much bigger than our happiness in any given moment. He wants to give us a super abundance, overflowing life of depth, of satisfaction, of joy, of meaning, of significance, of security, of confidence. He wants to fill us with life. Eternal is really the only word that John can use that helps qualify it. And it's not just eternal because it goes on forever. It's eternal because there's actually no way to quantify it fully, the significance and the power of the life that Jesus wants to give you. And yet, we settle for scrolling the internet. And Jesus says in this passage, he says this fascinating thing. He says, hey, my sheep know me. They're going to follow my voice, and I'm going to lead them out from the sheep pen. I'm going to take them to where the good food is. I'm going to take them to where the water is. I'm going to take them to, to give them the full life that I intend for them to have. And I found myself thinking about this. I've read this so many times. I've preached this before, and I found myself finally thinking about, so why is it that I'm following these other voices? Because he says so clearly, my sheep won't follow a stranger's voice, they'll only follow my voice. And again, because we're removed from shepherding, this is like a mystery that we don't fully get, but it's, we might be able to kind of understand it because if you're at a dog park and you've got dogs, some of you love dogs, and you go to the dog park and if I were to call your dog's name, they might come. If you call your dog's name, they're coming. Maybe. Sheep will come. Maybe I'm getting sheep instead of dogs. See, because this was common in Jesus' day, they'd have a sheep pen filled with all the sheep from this village. And when a shepherd would walk in, they'd have a certain whistle or they'd just call out with their certain call and their sheep and their sheep only would start following them as they walked out into the fields. Now, we in the West have sheep dogs and we like, you know, cracking whips and, you know, whatever else we think is the right thing to drive sheep. But in the, in the Middle East, even today, sheep follow along right behind their shepherd like they're supposed to. And Jesus is saying, my sheep listen to my voice. They know my voice. They hear my voice and they follow me. They will not follow a stranger's voice. So that means if I'm not following the voice of Jesus that's leading me to life that is full and abundant and beautiful, that means I'm following the voice of a different shepherd. Oh, and that shepherd isn't a stranger to me. What that means is I have befriended. I have befriended those strange voices. I have befriended those voices that would lead me not to pasture and water and safety but I have befriended those voices that will lead me astray there's a, a book that just came out called Don't Trust Your Gut or came out recently by someone, a man named Seth Stevens Davidowitz he used to work for Google and in their data analysis department and this whole book is, is looking at the incredible mountain of data that is available to us now. Mountains of it. And what, what they've found in the data is that our gut is actually usually wrong. You know, we like that gut 
intuition, instinct. There's something, as Americans, we value kind of that self-rugged individualism and that ability to kind of carve our own path based on our own gut instinct. I don't need anybody else's input. Well, basically, that's wrong. And he demonstrates through the mountains of data that our ability to actually determine what's going to be the best path for us is so influenced by common sense that's not so common, by myths that hold no value. In other words, by strange voices that tell us, here's where the full and abundant life is, and we keep following after it based on our gut. And as we follow these strange voices and we find our lives so full of a lot of bios but not a lot of zoe, feeling like there's something off and it's not working and so we redouble our efforts to figure it out and use our gut to figure out what the problem is and listen to whatever voice would come next and we continue like these sheep to wander astray, getting into thorn bushes, falling into crevices, going over the edge and predators all around us. And Jesus is saying, these predators want to steal and kill and destroy the life that I want to give you. And there are some who claim to have your best interest in mind. They claim to know what the best thing is for you. But when push comes to shove and you're faced with the crisis and life and death situation, they're going to run away from you and leave you holding the bag. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know your helplessness. I know your vulnerability. I know your rebellion. I know your tendency to follow strange voices. And I know that that puts you into these situations where life is being sucked out of you. And here's the thing. Unlike everybody else who's going to run from you in that moment, I will come and I will face your predator. I will face the wolf, the lion, the bear. And where everybody else will run and where you are going to face death, I will get into your place and I will die for you. See, that's what the cross is really about. It's about the good shepherd. Saying, you're following these voices that are leading you to lots and lots of bios. Decay and death is on your horizon. And so I will come and step into your death and decay. Die in your place so that I can give you in return, Zoe, life, full, abundant, eternal overflowing of a quantity and a quality that we can't even fully grasp because it is connected to a relationship with the Father through the Son and in Him is life. In Him is Zoe. Friends, we are going to unpack this over the coming weeks. What is this life What is this full life that Jesus wants to give us? What does that actually look like? And how do we move away from the counterfeits of life that we so often settle for and these strange voices? But for this morning, I want to encourage you to listen for the voice of Jesus, your good shepherd who's inviting you to come back to him, to trust that he can give you life, to listen for his voice as he wants to lead you in those good paths, to those places of protection, of provision, to abundance, to life that is full. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that speaks to us. We thank you that you know the details of our lives. You know our tendency to wander. You know our vulnerability, our helplessness. You know our stubbornness and our rebellion. And yet, even while we were rebellious, you sent your son Jesus, the good shepherd, who lays down his life for us. Lord God, help us to hear once again, to know his voice, to let him lead us back to you, the source of full and true and abundant life. Lord, thank you that we don't have to to earn it and prove that we're worthy of it and perfect. But even in our wandering, you offer us grace, you offer us joy, you offer us fullness of life. In Jesus' name, amen. 